that was the very interesting opening music to Fantastic Planet, released in 1973 by Argos Films, La Films Amorial, Institut National de la Audiovisual. <laughs> it, it was a pretty uh, well-rounded film in terms of who was involved in producing it. Uh, it was released from out of France but it was also some of the work was done in Czechoslovakia and the opening music and all of the music uh, most most of the music anyway in the film was composed by Alain Gorogor and you can find the soundtrack to this movie on iTunes and if you look at his uh, page of all of his music He's really in big into uh, jazz and is 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 uh, well known as a jazz musician. But this this particular soundtrack is pretty unique and and a lot different than other music that he's produced. So you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us on the internet at www.classicmoviereviews.net and in iTunes, you can search for us. While you're in there searching for the soundtrack, you can search for us. Just type in Classic Movie Reviews, and we pop up. And then in Facebook, just type in Classic Movie Reviews as a search, and you'll find us there as well. And I'm Matt Johnson, and I'm coming to you from the Seattle area today, where we're headed into a week of rain, which I have to tell you I'm kind of excited about, actually. And I'm Bob Johnson in uh, Los Angeles. I'm glad to hear about uh, the rain. Uh, you need it with the wildfires that are going on. I read yesterday uh, where we're, we're, uh, should expect, we should expect a lot of rain this fall because of El Nino, and they were saying, be sure to stock up on your supplies in case you can't get out of your house. I'm like, you know, because of flooding and whatnot. Uh, we could use the rain, but that sounds like it might be overdoing it. That's that thing that always uh, is strange to me that you you do get rain there, but it just comes down so hard and fast, and then it's so dry that it the ground doesn't absorb it as well sometimes. And then all of those rivers through through Los Angeles have been uh, filled with like uh, what is that? They're like. They're not natural anymore, right? So the the water runs through the concrete. Oh, right. They, there's parts of it now that they're putting back to a natural state, but a lot of it is still the concrete, as you will remember from the film Them. Oh yeah, <laughs> where, where the where the insects are in the Los Angeles uh, uh, River. Oh, and the, hideaways. Uh, Terminator Two. I think they had a big chase scene that was uh, really well done in, in one of those. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. right. That that was done up by Northridge. Yeah, that's right. We want to welcome everyone back to our podcast. This is uh, a movie that I had not seen before, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was it was uh, released in December of 1973, which is long enough ago that the uh, the country that uh, helped produce it was Czechoslovakia, which is now two separate countries, and of course France. Uh, this is a uh, this is a marvelous allegory. Once I got into the film and really started to watch it uh, about how people treat one another and how 
different uh, species treat each other. So it, it definitely, for me, was an adult animated film. Yeah, it's not a kid's movie by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, there's nudity in the film. There's a lot of death in the film. There's, uh, I mean, even, I've seen this movie, I, I think, probably six or seven times. And that first opening scene when the woman is running through that strange kind of forest and she's carrying her baby. Yes. And she's being chased, but you don't quite know by what at first. And then a, a giant hand comes down, a giant blue hand comes down and and pushes her down that, that hill. And she gets back up and tries to climb up the hill again and it pushes her down again. And then she tries one more time and the, the, the hand like flicks her with its finger and she goes flying and is killed. I mean, this is in the first like two minutes of the film. When I first started watching the film, I I was surprised by how dramatic and graphic it was right from the get-go it really got my attention because when it started i i was not connecting to what was going on until that large blue hand uh flicked the the mother down the hill turned out that they were uh, just kids blue kids from a race of uh beings that were huge and it, it like in t to your point of being an allegory I mean, how many times have kids, I'm sure, go out and pester the ants with, like, a magnifying glass or, you know, go and throw rocks at ducks or so? You know, it's just like they were kids being kids in a way, you know? I mean, but when you put it in the perspective of the, what they're torturing was a human being, it kind of really brings it home that, you know, that that's never okay to do. It's never okay to do do that kinds of things that i just described uh, yeah that message comes through i wanted to mention that the uh, film i could not find anything in terms of its financial results but it did have a, a big opening in france it had almost a million uh admissions but they didn't uh didn't give any financial data and then in the united states it was distributed by roger corman oh who, who was well known in the 50s and 60s for his uh, science fiction and horror movies. Like splatter horror type. It was like the really uh, gory yeah. horror. Yeah. And that was interesting because uh, it, it probably got a very limited distribution in 1973, 74. I don't even remember having it uh, pop up in Denver and Boulder. It probably did, and I just missed it. Yeah, the, the director was uh, Rene Laloux, and... He did a couple other animated films, but they didn't do as well as this one, and I don't think have as good of a reputation as this one. Uh, but on the DVD, there was some behind-the-scenes footage of earlier work that he had done, and it was kind of a combination of live-action and, and animated. And you could definitely see little glimpses of Fantastic Planet in some of his earlier work, but uh, his earlier work was definitely like social commentary, and I, and I really feel like Fantastic Planet is also a social commentary. Oh, I, I, I agree. I was reading where the animation was done uh, by cut-out stop-motion uh, processes, which was also kind of new to me in terms of what we've compared with, with Snow White and the others where it was rotoscoped or actually uh, hand-drawn art. 
Yeah, we've looked at we've looked at a lot of different variety of uh, styles because I think the most classic animation style is what we saw in in Snow White, and then subsequent Disney movies used a similar style, and then uh, the Yellow Submarine was a, another completely kind of different style, and then this one uh, is is a different style altogether, and it's not as smooth in in most cases as like snow white but it's it kind of hangs together better than uh yellow submarine so it was easier for me to watch it does well i think too the uh the process that was used because of the budget on i'm assuming that because of the budget on the film they were limited and so they went to this process because hand drawing art forms and rotoscoping i think is much more expensive or would have been at that time but i really liked it because it Definitely, it left an impression on me. Uh, it's so different. I don't think I've up to that point when I first saw this movie, I'd never seen anything like it, and I thought it really gave that that feeling of alienness. It, it really felt like you're on a, a different planet, and and that was cool. Do you think that the uh, the mother and her baby and and the uh, I believe they're called Ohms, Ohms, yeah, Ohms, were brought to this planet uh, from Earth? Yeah, because one of the the first time we see kind of the council of the the blue giants, um, they're talking about how they had done an expedition to the Ohm mother planet, and it it had appeared that the Ohms had like a society, and and they had an organized uh, industry. And Master Sin, our scientists attribute this strange loss of efficiency to a rupture in the emotional compensation system. They also claim that the Ohm's ancestors on the ancient planet Terra were quite intelligent. Of course, since they may have destroyed their entire civilization, I doubt that's correct. It's evident the animal possesses certain faculties for adaptation. But intelligence? Perhaps we underestimate the Ohm's. The tiny animal we caress between meditations may well surprise us one day. Extensive studies revealed numerous traces of organized life. And I got the impression that sometime in kind of the distant past, these blue giants were more technologically advanced and that they had explored the galaxy and they had brought back these uh, human humans to their home planet and then they kind of had domesticated them as pets. Um, boy, I think there'd be a fun movie uh, to be made of watching the blue giants invade Earth, though. <laughs> no kidding. Well, I, I remember that the scenes that you're talking about where they showed a crumbling building and some other artifacts. Now, as as we're talking about this part of the movie, which kind of introduces a lot of different things, I was struck by the fact that I, I, I thought of Planet of the Apes. Oh my gosh, I did too. That's funny that you said that. It has some of the same themes running through it. Uh, a lot, a lot more action and and drama and and, and killing than than. Uh... Well, no, there was a lot in this too. So, but it, I was just struck by that. I I wonder if there's any connection to like some of this movie and Planet of the Apes from 1968 in terms of themes and. It's interesting how we've done so many podcasts now. I see these themes running through various films and. Uh, decades of movie making and this was another one of those 
Well, I, what I like about this period of time from 1968 to, I, I guess, 75, maybe, is that there there were so many really excellent science fiction movies made. And, you know, we, we looked at some of them during our month of sci-fi. Uh, I would classify this as a science fiction movie. Oh, um, definitely. And a lot of those movies kind of have been lost a little bit. Like this one, I'm not sure is as well known as I think it could be. But the, the so you, you had mentioned an allegory of sort of how we treat other people and how we treat animals. And I, I also thought that, the, I never thought of this before, but after I watched it this time, I thought that it was also kind of an allegory for the Cold War. Uh, because the Ohms really didn't get power and really didn't get equality until they were able to master the, the Blue Giants' technology and became actually superior or at least equal to the technology of the Blue Giants. And once they did that, then there was peace between the Blue Giants and the Ohms. And I don't think the Blue Giants would have ever gone to the extent that they did to have peace with the Ohms unless the Ohms had that technology to fly to the fantastic planet and destroy those giant statues that they used during their meditation. Right. And, you know, a big part of the Cold War was that nuclear buildup where it was uh, the, the det deterrence through, uh, what's the word? Oh, they used to call it uh, mutually assured self-destruction. Yeah, mutually, mutually assured self-destruction. So I kind of felt like that's what had happened at the end of Fantastic Planet. I hadn't thought of that either. Well, I got another one for you. Okay. <laughs> Last podcast, we did Yellow Submarine with the Blue Meanies. Oh, yeah. And now we have the Blue uh, Humanoids. And I'm thinking, aha, they must have seen Yellow Submarine. <laughs> so should we talk a little bit more about the plot? You bet. Well, You, you want to lead off? Yeah, so it, we already talked about the opening. And once that woman is killed at the beginning... Uh, those the two kids that were kind of torturing her and, and the baby get chased off by an adult and another child and uh, that child says to the adult oh, that look father a female ohm and her baby do you suppose she's dead i think so tiva and the baby and why is he crying i don't know it may be that he's afraid or he's hungry we can't leave him here like this may i keep him father May I, Father? I'll take good care of him. Very well, Tiva. We can't let the poor animal die. He he wants to keep, or he or she, the gender of these blue giants is a little bit uh, amorphous, but uh, he or she wants to keep the baby as a pet. And so the, the father figure says, okay. And they take the baby back to their house, and the first thing that they do is put this collar on the baby, which allows the young child to control the baby. So if the baby tries to crawl away, uh, the child can turn this dial and it'll pull the, the baby back to him or her. And uh, then we go through a series of kind of scenes where the child is growing older. And we learn that time sort of moves differently for the Blue Giants versus the Ohms. I developed rapidly in this slow universe. For each drog week was equivalent to one of my years. I was only a living toy, but on occasion, a toy who dared to rebel. 
you, you don't want to think about that too hard because that doesn't quite make sense. But in any event, the the blue giants don't change very much over the course of the film, but the kind of the Ohm civilization changes a lot just because of the way time right. time works for for them. And what's interesting is that this Ohm grows into a kind of a young man, maybe early teenage years, and he starts to learn the same things that the Ohm is that, that the Blue Giant is learning through this uh, this uh, telepathic teaching tool that they have. Tiva acquired her education by means of a set of earphones. This complicated apparatus transmitted lessons directly into the brain, where they were forever engraved upon her memory. Our planet Yom possesses a single satellite, fantastic planet. We utilize this uninhabited planet for meditation. Yom is divided into several uvas. Two of the uvas, Strom and Yom. And this is the first time that an ohm has been able to learn all of the things that the blue giants know. And the father figure finds out about this and, and gets really angry and says that ohms shouldn't... You shouldn't have the ohm with you while you're studying. You need to focus on your studying. But that's kind of a crucial plot point that that Ter is the name of the the Ohm is learning all about the Blue Giant civilization and technology and history. I was I was struck by the fact that uh, <clears throat> the uh, instrument that he uses to learn about is it the dra- Dregs? Is that how they're called, pronounced? The the human the Dregs. Dregs. Yeah, <clears throat> looked similar to the instrument that was used in Forbidden Planet to strengthen the brain of. Dr. Morpheus. Oh, yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. And, and that, that has some of the same connection from a much earlier film. So, so uh, just one quick aside. It's interesting in science fiction films how uh, the humanoid form kind of is the standard throughout the, the universe, you know, like in Star Trek and uh, Star Wars and whatnot. But it was surprising to me that, that the human could even use that same technology as the as the drug uh you know because it they must have a similar kind of a brain structure if if it works the same way and i i uh, i wonder kind of the history of the drugs because they had explored the universe but now they spent most all of their time in meditation oh that was and, one of and, the really weird scenes of the movie wasn't it yeah it, it is and it allows them to travel with their minds to the which, fantastic planet. Yeah, it's amazing. But we don't know what's going on on the fantastic planet. So they're living on uh, the one main planet, which I. But then they, there's another planet orbiting that planet called the fantastic planet. And when the drugs are meditating, they go into these little bubbles. It's like representing their mind, and their mind floats off to the fantastic planet. And uh, there's a scene when they're meditating where their bodies, there's four of them, I think, and their bodies sort of merge together. That was really weird. It was. The planet that, they, that, the, that the, blue, uh, the blue giants are on is, uh, I won't pronounce it because I'll mess it up, but it's spelled Y-G-A-M. Yom, I think it Yom. was called. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you have all the details today. Good. <laughs> Probably too much trivia about how it connects to other movies, I tell you. So, let's see. Uh, Tear gets older, and what happens is that the 
Drog that was kind of his owner is spending less and less time with him because uh, he or she is doing more of that meditation. For some time now, my intimacy with Tiva has been waning. As she matured into an adolescent, she gradually abandoned her toys. When I could no longer benefit from her lessons, I decided to run away. So Terra decides he's going to run away, and when he runs away, he grabs the learning machine and takes it with him. And when the drugs figure out that he's escaped, they try to use the collar to pull him back, but he's gone quite a ways, and he would definitely have been killed if, if that had worked, but he gets kind of stuck in some some trees, and then we meet the wild ohms. Yes, and, the, uh, the female ohm, uh, and she's suc- successful in removing his collar and introduces him to her tribe. Calls him some names because the, they think that the domesticated ohms are kind of stupid. And You're not very smart. A typical domesticated ohm. But you have a collar, too. Mine is not real. It's to fool the drugs. And what's that? A learning device of the drugs. A what? Here, I'll show you. But what turns out is that he, because he's been doing all this learning, he gets to the home of the wild ohms and is able to read all of the uh, writing that is on the boxes and different things that that the wild ohms have stolen from the drugs. And there was a scene where he warns one of the wild ohms to don't don't bang on that box; it's a trap. Since I was a ridiculous domesticated ohm. I received a mocking welcome from the Savage Ohms. <laughs> Don't touch that chest. It's a trap. He keeps doing it, and the trap opens up, swallows him, and then buries itself in the ground. Remember that? <laughs> I do. I do. Uh, and we're close to the scene where Terror uh, inv- gets involved in a duel with one of the wild ohms, and the uh, the duel involves strapping these hideous animals on their stomach, and then the animals fought each other, as well as the people, or the ohms. That was crazy. I, that was that was an unusual uh, way to go about that. <clears throat> but our our uh, terror wins that one, and uh, that helps him with the wild ohms. He becomes kind of accepted at that point. Yes, in, into the tribe, and we find out that there's another tribe of wild ohms in this park that they live in. It's kind of an abandoned park. Um, you know, it's it looks like most of the planet. Yom has been kind of abandoned, and the drugs live in these uh, certain areas of the planet that they they maintain. But they like like we said earlier, they spend most of their time meditating. Um, so they're for a long long period of time in in the human time scale, the ohms are left alone. But then the drugs decide that the wild ohms are getting too numerous and they're causing too many problems, so they need to deomize. Yes. 
you're not mistaken. Did you read it correctly? Yes, deomization was written on the walls of the park. What do you think it means? The drugs intend to kill all the ohms in the park. Long ago, I witnessed a deomization. It was horrible. But here in the great tree, I think we will be perfectly safe. What will we do? It had to come. In any case, we have time to prepare. We'll post guards tonight. The drugs will massacre us. They're punishing us for stealing knowledge. Let us pray to the fantastic planet. The guards will warn us when they attack. Tomorrow we'll see. Yes. Today we would refer to that as ethnic cleansing. I tell you, it, 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 it's very similar in terms of what they do. I think that'd be one way to look at it. Another way is like if they, if they were pests, it'd be like bringing in the exterminator. Yes. And that was quite a, a machine that they used to do that, by the way. I jump ahead a little bit, but... Well, there's a couple different deomizations that happen, and uh, what happens is that most of the wild ohms in the park get wiped out, so the two tribes have to kind of join forces, and they have to leave the park. And as they're leaving the park, uh, they're spotted by a couple of uh, drugs that are walking by, and one of the drugs says, It smells of ohms. <laughs> what vermin? The Great Council should deomize the park more often. Owning a domestic arm is all right, they're amusing. But all these savage ohms, they steal, they're dirty, and they reproduce at an appalling rate. There's a nest of them there, a whole colony. Let's stamp them out. And the ohms decide enough is enough, and they attack him, and they bring yes. him down. And it was funny because all, all the ohm... I mean, all the drog had to do was, like, run away. But I, I, I think that he was so shocked that he was being attacked that he he didn't know how to react to it. Didn't know what to do. You know, when they, when they were stomping out the uh, ohms, and I thought, oh, my goodness, as a young boy, I used to run around and stomp out ants and anything else on the ground, just like they were doing in that scene. Exactly. That's that's what I thought of, too. Uh, so they end up killing a drog, and then after that happens, they... They say that they have to get away from the park, and they go to an abandoned rocket factory. Uh, and at the you know simultaneous to this, the drugs are freaking out because no no drug has ever been killed by ohms before. In the deomized park, beside the dead drug, we found two remarkably well organized ohm nests. Even more disturbing and inexplicable is the fact that in one of these nests, boxes of stolen goods were arranged by categories. Since they had not been opened, how could the alms have known their contents? I consider it essential that we impose more drastic measures against the alms. I propose that the parks be deomized twice each cycle. It is also imperative that we impose strict controls on the breeding and the sale of all domestic alms. Much too often, they escape again and join the swarms of savage ohms that infest the parks and other isolated areas. In order to deomize thoroughly, we must use all our latest weapons. We must eliminate all the savage ohms, and I pose the question, should we even keep our domestic ohms? We were wrong to consider ohms as simple, harmless animals. I fear that we have committed an error fraught with most grievous consequences. Uh, 
but there are there there are uprisings happening in other drag cities, uh, and ohms are uh, causing more and more problems. And then we kind of cut back to the rocket factory, and they've converted this rocket factory into like a futuristic super city. It's pretty cool how they uh, yes they all are learning from that that caller and they're all getting a lot smarter and uh, they're they decide that they have to find out what's on the fantastic planet so they're gonna convert the rocket technology using this miniaturization machine uh, they're gonna convert it to something that is the size that would f- work for the ohms but I thought that city that they created was pretty cool it is indeed <clears throat> i was thinking this movie could be made today with uh live action and uh with the right direction and production and budget would be amazing uh on imdb there's a there's a blank page that says uh fantastic planet uh remake and it's been active since uh, 2006 or 2008 or something. So maybe there's some act, you know, some activity in Hollywood to to, to remake that. this. That'd be awesome. I was thinking as well that this would be the perfect vehicle for James Cameron. Oh my gosh, more blue creatures, right? Like in Avatar. Avatar, you know, it could be it could be that same kind of thing with a huge budget and it'd probably win ten Academy Awards. Actually, now that you mention it, there are some similarities between this movie and Avatar as well. Yes. Huh. (laughs) So, Do you want to talk about how they they take off to the Fantastic Planet? Well, I'll let you do that one. I'm looking up something else here. All right. So uh, the drugs really step up their de-ohmizations, and they've used their technology to create even more deadly ways to kill the ohms but the ohms it's kind of an arms race this is what reminds me of the cold war have figured out ways to combat the deomizations and for the most part are able to survive this time uh so then they decide that we've really got to get into our rocket ships and figure out what's happening at the fantastic planet they think that they could all live on the fantastic planet and get away from the drugs the two reconnaissance rockets must blast off at once. We have to know if life's possible on the fantastic planet. We can't wait any longer. I'm sorry. I can't go with you. But I'm not afraid. I'm certain you'll succeed. We'll construct a world where Ohms can live in peace and happiness. A world far from the dogs. The fantastic planet will become our planet. The world of our children. You must go. Oh, quickly. You must. So they take off and they fly their rocket ships through the atmosphere, kind of avoiding these thought bubbles of the drugs that are floating around. And then they land on the fantastic planet. And it's strange because there's these giant marble statues it looks like um, all along the landscape and there's a female version and a male version and they don't have a head yeah and as they're watching those thought bubbles come floating down from the sky uh, and the ones from yom are kind of like a blue no they're kind of like a reddish color 
And then other thought bubbles come floating down that are kind of a blue color, and they realize that the drogs are communicating with other beings from other planets and other galaxies through this meditation. Accidentally, we had discovered the secret of the drogs. By means of their meditation spheres, the drogs arrived at the fantastic planet to meet with beings from other galaxies and to join them in celebrating strange nuptial rites. They extracted from these unions the vital visionary impulses which made life possible for them. Simultaneously, they assured the perpetuation of their species. And that this is how they're able to reproduce and uh, continue on as a species. The thought bubbles land on top of these statues and then the statues start dancing and, and I imagine that they you know, were having sex or something similar to that. The ohms are afraid that these giant statues are going to step on their spaceships, so they use their disintegration ray to basically destroy all of these statues, which totally sends the drogs into panic mode. And we cut back to the Yom, the planet Yom, and all the drogs are running around, like, blinded and, and, and confused, and there's, we cut to the scene back at the council chambers of the drugs, and they're saying that... Never have the drugs been faced with such imminent disaster. Our entire civilization is doomed. The Ohms have taken revenge. They have incredible technical knowledge at their disposal. Rapidly. We must they destroy must them. Yes, but how? How? The deomizations have failed. It's already too late. The Ohms are destroyed. There's only one solution. Neither the Ohms nor the drugs want to destroy themselves. We must somehow make peace. They sue for peace. So they, they sue... And, and the third act of this movie is about five minutes long at the end there, where once they destroy those statues, it's like the Ohms have the upper hand, and now the Ohms and the, the drugs live in peace, and uh, the drugs are happy to learn from the ohms and their vitality and their their high level of energy and creativity and they they i guess kind of build an even more advanced civilization together i love the ending too where the uh the drog is sitting there petting not an ohm but an animal a, a dog or something yeah on its lap which is indicative of the change that's occurred the reason i was looking something up is you'd mentioned earlier that this reminded you of the uh, Cold War era as an allegory, and I was just reading that the movie carries a hopeful message relevant to the Cold War period in which the film and its source novel were created. So that was the theme that uh, the author, I think, was going for as well. So uh, what was your rating on, on our fantastic, on our fantastic uh, planet? I, I, I'm going to, man, is it a 9 or a 10? Hmm. Well, we gave Snow White a 15, right? Uh, well, yes, I, <laughs> I uh, altered the rating scale. Yes, that's true, which gonna, I guess I shouldn't do. I'm going to give it a 9, uh, only because I I wanted to have a little bit more at the end where they just wrapped it up so quick, and... I, I wish that they had maybe made that third act a little bit longer. They spent a lot of time in the middle, uh, kind of emphasizing how badly the Ohms were treated, and 
I thought maybe they could have cut a little bit there and maybe put a little bit more at the end of what kind of happened afterwards. And that's the that's the only kind of nitpicky thing. Um, but I, it's a really really excellent movie. I, I give it a my highest recommendation to go watch it. But I just think that I, I wanted a little bit more at the end. I guess I, I gave it a nine, uh, and the running time for the for the film is only seventy two minutes. Which is was pretty short, and I'm wondering if maybe budgetary reasons or or the reason it was cut short like that. Because I, I agree with you, it could have used a little bit more on the end to explain what happens after they sue for peace. So a nine for me, yes. All right, so that's uh, the last movie of our August is for Animation Month, and I'm sure we'll do some more animated films in the future. But coming up in September is uh, a whole month of silent films and we've chosen the ones that we are going to watch and I think the first one that we'll watch is Metropolis the Giorgio Moroder version which was a a restored version and then the music was redone by Giorgio Moroder and I watched it a couple weeks ago and it's really really good and the music fits really well that's an excellent film. I'm glad that's one that we're going to lead with. Uh, and then, and then uh, the other silent films that we'll watch, uh, we don't have the order just yet, but uh, Charlie Chaplin in City Lights, uh, Nosferatu, and uh, Thief of Baghdad. And these are all available on Netflix or YouTube. And I think we'll probably do Nosferatu last because that will lead us into October where we're going to do a whole month of horror movies, leading, yes. off, leading off with The Thing from Another World. One of my favorite, if not my favorite, science fiction movie from 1951, which partly was filmed in my hometown in Montana, all the winter snow scenes. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we haven't quite nailed down the movies for that month, but uh, we know that we're going to lead off with that one. So that's what's coming up, and uh, we've really enjoyed this month of animation and look forward to silent films in which we won't have any clips of people talking. <laughs> <laughs> that would that would be unusual if we did. All right. So coming to you from Seattle, this is Matt Johnson. And this is uh, Bob Johnson in Los Angeles wishing you great movie watching. Jaden down there trying to get the dogs to sing. He's got really, he's got really good timing. Well, that's kind of the ending of our show. We could 
Yeah. At least it was at the end, yeah. That's all right. <laughs> Are they all learning how to sing? Uh, just in the last couple of weeks, they've started to like sing, like howling. And oh, I, that's. We come home and then they. they that's great. It's a, what's a, it's such a skill. <laughs> yeah, I was so so proud of them. <laughs> I, I I can remember when I had Gus. Uh, uh, I I taught him how to sing. He loved to sing. It yeah. was really annoying. Uh, the kids like to get them to do that, so it's probably not something I'm going to be able to stop. 